0: conspiracy show with richard Seri. well thanks for inviting me into your home long haul truck rv taxi your parents well appointed rec room with the ping pong table and the painting of dogs playing poker that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods hi to everyone tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across north america and how do how do to everyone pulling us in on the Conspiracy Show app, those of you watching the live stream on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and, of course, those faithful, assembled in the live YouTube chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Haunted and cursed objects this hour. Now, if you have something, maybe an armoire, an antique doll, uh, maybe some jewelry that you suspect may be cursed or haunted. We would love to hear from you, and we'll open the lines towards the bottom of the hour. Now, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who joins us uh, the second Sunday of every month, uh, was to be with us tonight. She's not feeling well. In fact, she just moved out to Seattle. I just found this out. She left uh, Connecticut and has uh, uh, moved out to Seattle uh, and when she found out she wasn't going to be able to do the show, the show tonight, she put me in touch with my guest this hour. He's a fellow paranormal investigator, also located in Seattle. Ross Allison is the founder of Agost, A-G-H-O-S-T, an acronym standing for Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle, Tacoma. And he now runs AGHOST Investigations. With well over 20 years of investigating the paranormal and over 10 years running a ghost hunting group, Ross travels internationally to investigate paranormal activity, collect ghost stories, research cemeteries, and teach others about the strange things going on all around us. He is the author of several books on the paranormal, including Spooked in Seattle, Spooked Again in Seattle, Haunted Washington, The Ghost Hunter's Journal, Ghostology 101, Psychology for the Ghost Hunter, Ghosts on Campus, and Haunted Ships and Lighthouses. Ross Allison, thanks for stepping in for Rosemary Ellen Guiley last minute. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: My pleasure. You have a death museum, I understand. Tell me
1: about that, first of all. I do. I'm standing right in the middle of it right now. Uh, we are located in the heart of Seattle in Pioneer Square, which is the oldest part. And we actually have a huge collection of morning attire, uh, morning dresses, uh, vintage coffins. Uh, we got uh, um, some skulls. Uh, we have embalming equipment. We also have uh, a real human skeleton, which is interesting. And, of course, we have a haunted collection of dolls and toys and stuff like that.
0: And and how do these haunted uh, items come to you? Do people just, they're sort of fed up with them and they hand them over to you?
1: Pretty much, pretty much. You get a lot of people that have obtained certain objects that uh, they just didn't want in their house anymore. They felt creeped out by it. It was passed down from probably their grandmother. Or they may have thought, oh, this is an interesting piece that when they... Purchased it at an antique store, and then of course they get it home, and strange things happen. And it's like, well, I don't want this anymore, so they're more than happy to donate it to our museum.
0: And aren't you affected by by these these objects yourself? I mean, do you have any concern about being in close proximity to all of this uh, this energy? You know,
1: I I thought in the beginning it would be definitely interesting having a lot of haunted objects. But I already chose a location that was already, you know, haunted itself. So I think by bringing all these objects together and the attention that they get by, you know, hundreds of people coming down here and looking at them, I think a lot of them are at peace. They enjoy the attention. So for me, it hasn't been a lot of crazy stuff like I thought it would be. It's actually been very peaceful, and I, I've enjoyed having these collections.
0: And dolls, I'm guessing, are, are, are would they be the most common object that tends to be haunted?
1: Yes. In, in fact, it's kind of interesting because they, they do believe that a doll would be a perfect vessel for a spirit because it already resembles the human body. So when you have this empty shell of a toy that's just sitting around not doing anything, that A lot of people feel that they, they do draw on a lot of the spirits. But then when it comes to toys, especially dolls, you know, children put a lot of energy into them. You know, especially these little girls that, you know, take care of it as if it's their own baby. And they, they become obsessed with a lot of these toys. And that energy alone can transfer into a toy.
0: Now, is it always the case that the spirit that is inhabiting the toy or the doll... Is the child that owned the doll, or do, do spirits in general look to inhabit toys and dolls?
1: Well, I think it varies on the location or the situation, I should say. Um, but I think in a lot of cases, when it comes to dolls themselves, um, it usually is attachment from a child. Or in some cases, it could be the, the child spirit itself. That actually has transferred into the toy. Uh, here's a, a great story if you'd like to hear it. Yes, please. Um, there was a, here's a story called um, that I did research with uh, David Weatherly in our book Haunted Toys. And this is actually about a stuffed lamb. And this little girl, she just loved this toy lamb. She carried it with her everywhere. And the unfortunate event was uh, she was actually crossing the road while she was holding this lamb, and she was struck by a car. And, of course, her and the lamb separate, and um, she died from her injuries. And her mother actually went to go back to the scene of the accident because she couldn't find the lamb. And she wanted her daughter to be buried with this lamb, but unfortunately they couldn't find it. So, so they went ahead with the funeral, uh, she was buried and, uh, when the mother and father had returned after the funeral to their home, they were surprised to see that there was this, her toy lamb sitting on the front porch. Oh dear. So immediately, yeah, the mother brings it into her home and, you know, she puts it on her daughter's bed. And after a few days, things started to get really interesting. She'd find that this toy lamb would actually be sitting in front of the TV on Saturday mornings just like her little daughter would be, you know, to watch the cartoons. Um, some days she'd even find that the the doll the little lamb would be sitting at the table, you know, getting ready for dinner like she always used to do. Uh-huh. And after all these experiences, um, her mother was very curious as to what was going on, so she actually contacted a local ghost hunter. And this ghost hunter decided, you know, to try to do some EVP sessions. And sure enough, you know, through these EVP sessions, they would hear the little girl And they would hear her giggling, uh, and, you know, they'd hear her whisper to her mother. Well, one night, they decided to do another EVP session. And after they stopped the session, the um, ghost hunter went to pick up the little toy lamb, and he was surprised because it felt damp to him. But he went ahead and put it back on the little girl's bed, And they finished the session, and they went, you know, their separate ways. And when he got home, he started listening to the recordings. And to his surprise, he just got the little girl crying and sobbing really, really hard in this recording. Well, that night, the mother, she was very uncomfortable feeling. And so she actually decided to, you know, go into her daughter's room. And, she, you know, she just wanted to say goodnight, and she just couldn't leave the room, so she laid on the bed and as she looked up, she saw her daughter standing in the doorway. Mm. And as soon as she saw her daughter, she just vanished. And that was the last time she ever saw her. And that was the last time that that lamb even moved around. I think the reason why she was crying, because she wanted to say goodbye to her mother.
0: Right. Right. And that's why the lamb was damp from her tears. Exactly. That's heartbreaking uh any any time you know what the, the one of the most difficult things for me to hear are the the e v p s of children's voices um oh, yeah, how many dolls do you
1: have in your collection? Oh God, I don't think I've even counted. I would probably have to say I have a good maybe sixty seventy dolls here,
0: sixty or seventy yeah and and all and all reportedly haunted.
1: All of them have had some pretty interesting stories. I can't say that every single one of them is haunted. I haven't had a personal experience with every one of them. But I would say that, yeah, there's a lot of them here that have had some interesting encounters with the people that previously owned them. Um, some of them are just the ones that they just don't want them in their home. Everybody, when they look at this doll, they're just creeped out.
0: Have you witnessed something going on with one of these dolls?
1: Oh, yes. In fact, uh, one of our our more famous doll is Mr. Creepy. Now, he is actually a ventriloquist doll. He was created in the 1960s by a retired ventriloquist artist that actually was pretty big here during the vaudeville days in the Northwest. Well, in his retirement years, he would actually make these dolls and perform from time to time. Well, he actually made this doll. And he actually made a female counterpart as well. The interesting thing was, he actually made this doll in his likeness, and the female counterpart in his wife's likeness. Mm. What makes these dolls more interesting is they use their real hair on these dolls. Now, unfortunately, the couple passed away in an accident. And after the passing, the dolls were sold as a pair at the estate sale. Well... This uh, woman who actually deals with antiques, she purchased the dolls, and she put them on display on a shelf behind her register. Now, they sat there for a good long time, no issues whatsoever, but unfortunately they sold her building. So this means she has to pack up and move to another location. So she packs up the dolls separately, and she puts them into storage. Well, when she gets her new location, she goes back to the storage unit, pulling pieces to stock her store. And she finds the gentleman, but she can't find the female counterpart. But she goes ahead and puts him on display in a glass case behind the register. Now, right away, she starts having these weird sensations. Like there is somebody standing behind her, breathing down the back of her neck. She always feels like she's being watched. She said someday she'd come in and find that his head would be turned in another direction. Some days, uh, his eyes would be looking in another direction. Now, what's really weird about this is his eyes are actually spring-loaded. So that means there's a trigger that controls his eyes. Once you let go of the trigger, the eyes spring right back to the center. So they cannot stay left or right unless you're holding on to the trigger. Right. But she would experience that. She said, go right in there, and he'd be looking completely to the left. Now, I have to admit, I've experienced that myself, and he's in a glass case, so no one can actually get in and fool around with him, and when I've come in and found that his eyes would be looking left or right, my curiosity gets the best of me, so I want to see what's going on, so I try to slowly you know, look to see what's happening behind him, and as soon as I cause any vibration to that glass case, his eyes spring right back to the center. It's startling. Wow. Well, Was
0: yeah. was the female ever found? The female counterpart?
1: I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay, sorry. Okay, <laughs> It gets more <laughs> interesting. So what happens is, you know, of course, she keeps having these weird experiences with him. You know, his head moving left or right. Some days the glass case would be open. And it was freaking her out so much that she didn't want to deal with him on a daily basis. So she moved him to the back of the store on a bottom shelf. She didn't have to see him every day. So I go into a lot of these antique stores looking for pieces for my death museum. And I always ask him, do you have anything that's odd? And of course, I I love to hear their stories. And immediately she introduces me to Mr. Creepy. And she tells me a story. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love this guy. I would love to give him a home here at Spook in Seattle. So she was so happy to get rid of him that she sold me him for one dollar. Oh, my gosh. I bring him here. Yep. I put him in what we had. We had this beautiful uh, antique glass case. And uh, I had put him in this case. And it's one of those heavy cases that usually takes about two people to pull away from the wall uh, to get access to the doors behind it, unlock the doors, you know, and, then of course, lock them, push it back up against the wall. So I had him on display in this antique case. And uh, I was here alone one day. And I have... Heard the strange thud against glass. Now immediately I thought something happened in the gift shop. So I come out and I'm looking around the gift shop and I can't find anything disturbed. So I'm like, what caused that noise? So I come around these big tables that we have and I'm now facing that glass case with the dolls. And I notice right away that his head is now turned and leaning up against the glass. Oh man. So, I immediately pull out my cell phone, I take a picture, you know, just for, this really did happen. And interesting enough, when I examine the photo, you can actually see something very odd, and that is his reflection. If you ever look up a picture of Mr. Creepy, you know, and there's lots of pictures of him online, um, you can see that this guy has got these very cartoonish features, you know, very round face, round eyes, round rosy cheeks. But... In this reflection, he's got a more elongated face, more thin-looking, very, very droopy eyes, more lifelike. And I think that is the man that actually haunts us all. And people ask me why. And I think he is looking for that female counterpart. They hadn't been separated since the day they were created. And so I have been on a quest to try and find her. So it's a situation Mr. Creepy seeking Mrs. Creepy. Wow.
0: She was never... Located, Amazing. never located. Amazing. Um, what other objects uh, are are commonly uh, haunted? I mentioned uh, jewelry. I mentioned yeah. you know antique furnitures like armoires. What are what are other common objects that are that tend to be haunted?
1: Well, we find that most haunted objects tend to be a very personal object. Jewelry is very personal. You know, it's something you wear every day, a wedding ring. You know, something that seems to be very personal to somebody can easily hold on to that energy. Um, We've got a uh, skeletal hand here where a gentleman was killed in a mining explosion, and all they retrieved was his hand, and it was identified by his wedding ring. And the family, you know, held on to this hand, hoping that more pieces would be retrieved, you know, of his body so they could give him a proper burial. And no other pieces were found. And so this family held on to that hand for such a long time that they ended up having it mounted. And it's almost like, you know, a memento of this, this young man. And they believe that he is attached to that hand. You know, Hmm. you know, pictures could be haunted as well. Um, all kinds of interesting things. A wedding dress, you know, there's a story of a haunted wedding dress where it was passed down from generation to generation and any woman that wore that dress uh ended up having a failed ma- marriage within a year.
0: When someone goes antiquing, let's say, or they go to a flea market. I was I went for a walk today and there was like this is the, the time of year for garage sales and lawn sales and there were about a half a dozen on my my route. And uh, I'm always curious to see, you know, what what wares people have. But I'm also, you know, I've done enough of these shows, and uh, you know, with Rosemary and now with yourself, I'm I'm a little weary or wary rather, a little wary of just bringing something home. Uh, so, I mean, how do you, how do you make sure you don't you don't bring a hitchhiker home with you, if you know what I mean?
1: Well, you know, if somebody may be gifted in being, you know, maybe psychic or sensitive, I think they have the ability to pick up on something like that right away. But I also you know tell people to listen to your inside feelings your gut feelings if you get that you know immediately creepy feeling over something then that's probably that fight or flight feeling that you know we're that's embedded in us so i think that's always a good sign in the very beginning
0: and are there are there symptoms i mean aside from seeing let's say let's say you bring a doll home and let's assume you're not seeing the eyes move back and forth or that you don't you're not seeing the doll moving uh, but are there other signs that you might have some sort of a spirit attachment in the house? I mean, what, what sort of – do people report uh, feeling ill or what other what other ways can we
1: tell? Well, and, that, and that's one of the things that we always ask when we are, get called in to do an investigation is, did you bring something recently into your home, especially for people that do like to collect antiques? And you will find in some situations where, yeah, nightmares could start. People will have trouble sleeping at night. You could actually hear strange noises, uh, most commonly even talking or um, voices. You know, if it's children, you might hear giggling or crying. Um, things being moved around is another common phenomena that you will actually experience. Uh, I've had a situation where, you know, somebody had brought a doll into their home and they never seen anything happen with the doll, but they would actually hear, you know, a child, you know, calling out Mama. And they would actually hear, you know, the pitter-patter of feet going up and down the halls, doors opening and closing. So, yeah, that's one of the things you want to look for is, you know, just the other strange phenomena that can occur once you bring this object into your home.
0: What do you do if you have a haunted object? You want to keep the object, but you don't want to keep the ghost. I mean, how do you... uh How do you cleanse, I guess, uh, that object?
1: Well, I've always been one that's uh, kind of been skeptical when it comes to cleansings. I think if you are dealing with something intelligent, you're dealing with something that has free will. So I think for some people it can be an extreme challenge. Um, for some people, they like to, you know, if you're trying to get rid of the spirit, you may have to get rid of the object itself. There's too much of an attachment. Um, some people will suggest maybe a blessing on the object itself. Uh, I think it de- just depends on your own faith. Um, uh, to be honest with you, I think that's probably the best routes you're going to be able to do.
0: All right, Ross, stay put. We'll come back on the other side and continue to delve into haunted and cursed objects. And we'll also open up the phone lines. If you believe you may have a haunted object or a cursed object, we'd love to hear from you. Back with more in a moment. Keeping an eye on the New World Order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Ross Allison is with us. He is the founder of A Ghost A-G-H-O-S-T, Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle, Tacoma. And uh, he has 20 years, over 20 years of investigating the paranormal, over 10 years running a ghost hunting group. He travels internationally to investigate paranormal activity. Some of his books uh, include Spooked in Seattle, Haunted Washington, The Ghost Hunters Journal, Ghostology 101, Psychology for the Ghost Hunter, Ghosts on Campus, and Haunted Ships and Lighthouses. And uh, he is joining us live from Seattle and his museum, The Dead Museum, which includes a collection of somewhere around 60 or 70 dolls, most of which are haunted. Right. Now, is there a difference between... A haunted object and a cursed object. Let's say, for example, the hope Diamond. and I think you know many of us are familiar with this uh, this particular piece of uh, jewelry that that uh, really brought tragedy to many of its owners. Right. Uh, is it likely that that object was simply haunted, or is there something is there is a curse something entirely different?
1: A curse is something uh, completely different. You know, haunting is obviously something uh, of a uh, human being, you know, a spirit of the human being attached to an object or some sort of entity attached to an object. When you're talking about a curse, you're dealing with, you know, something that's going to bring you bad luck. Um, in fact, uh, what I'm trying to think of a great curse story that I have is um, there's a ship called uh, the Sea King. And this goes back to the 1800s. And it was actually in San Francisco when the Great San Francisco earthquake hit. So it survived the earthquake because it was in the water. But um, one of the things that these ships do uh, before they head back out to sea is they have to fill their ballast. And usually they fill their ballast with rocks, very heavy material. Um, And so since San Francisco actually was full, of all this rubble now. So what they did is they filled the ship with all this rubble from the San Francisco earthquake. Well, the interesting thing was, as the ship was making its way back to Seattle, the crew that had been on the ship for, gosh, you know, probably decades, they were just uh, upset. They just said that there was just something off about the ship the whole time. They kept hearing these strange moans, um, they kept hearing voices. And so when they finally got to Seattle and they started to, you know, dump out everything that was in the ballast, to their surprise, they found that they had actually been carrying the remains of people that were killed in the San Francisco earthquake. Wow. These bodies were just twisted amongst all the, the rubble. And since they had that happen, these men, who were already superstitious, you know, being at sea, Right. believe that this ship was cursed. And it's just that, that bad juju that people, you know, want to blame on these objects. And it's one of those things that just keeps bringing you bad luck.
0: Do you have an object in your museum that you believe is cursed?
1: I do. I actually have a, uh, I have a few things, but one of my favorite stories I do like to tell is what we call our demon doll. And this is a doll that was actually, uh, I came across on a Craigslist ad. And the story was that this doll uh, was believed to be, um, it belonged to their great aunt. And when she was nine years old, uh, they believed that she was possessed. So the local priest claimed to have exorcised the demon from the little girl and transferred it into her doll. Then he put his rosary on the doll, preventing that demon from escaping. So for decades and decades, this doll has been passed on from generation to generation. And their sole purpose is to protect this doll and make sure that that rosary does not come off the doll because they believe that whatever's inside this doll is out to destroy their family. They believe that it is cursed because ever since they had, uh, before this had happened, they had nothing but bad luck in their family. But once they believed that they trapped whatever it is in this doll, things got better for them. Well, now it's the younger generation's turn to take care of this doll. They didn't want it. So they posted an ad on Craigslist hoping somebody would take this doll off their hands. They didn't want any money. In fact, they were willing to pay fees if they had to ship it. And they don't even want fame. I'm not even allowed to tell you the family's name. They just wanted to make sure that whoever was going to take this doll off their hands would take care of the doll. So I was able to prove to them that this doll is going to be behind glass. No one's going to be messing with it. So they gave me the doll. So it is now and my sole responsibility to make sure that rosary does not come off the doll. And it's right there? Are you looking
0: at it right now as we speak?
1: I, I am looking at it right now.
0: <laughs> and and are you, I mean, are you at all... Superstitious? Do you? Are you religious? Do you? I mean, would you? Which? If someone offered you five thousand dollars to take the the um, the rosary off of that doll, would you do it?
1: No, I, I would say I'm respectful to whatever is out there, and I would not want to put anybody in harm. Whether you know it, it's good or bad, I just would not want to take that chance. $25,000. <laughs> $25,000. <000. laughs> Should we do a live show on this? <laughs> but honestly, no, I, I, I made them a promise, and I would respect that promise.
0: And so, I mean, I wish you a long and healthy life, but what happens when you're, I don't know, let's say ready to retire and you need, you want to give these objects away? I mean, how? what then?
1: Well, I think there's enough people out there that are trained, you know, to make sure that they treat these objects with respect, that hopefully they would go on to a good home and uh, people would respect these objects and take good care of them.
0: All right, so let's grab cases, a call. Uh, sorry, what was that, Ross? Finish up. Please. I was going to
1: say, I think in a lot of cases with a lot of these toys and objects, they're just misunderstood. Most people, you know, default to fear whenever they experience anything odd, and I, and I think that's our biggest problem in the society. And you know, when it comes to ghosts, is you know we want to fear it because we're taught to fear it, and I think in most cases it, it's pretty tame.
0: Uh, let's grab a call, Chris. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show.
2: Hey there. Um. So I've had an item in my house that I had a weird issue with. So. I collect a lot of antiques, and I got this uh, still from the prohibition era from when alcohol was banned. And ever since I brought the thing home, I would experience feelings of me and my girlfriend would be sleeping. We'd experience sleep paralysis at night. We'd experience tightness. I'd feel as if something was choking me. I'd hear weird noises in my room, like dings and knock, like tapping noises. And what else happened?
1: Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend and Chris,
2: would have constant sleep paralysis every night. She'd wake up crying. It would never go away. It was terrifying until we removed the object, and these things just stopped happening. Oh, yeah. Was very where, did that was really right where did you that have the still? Where did you have the still? I was Chris? talking about you know, um, like you there, in a shelf in my room where I would have items on display, and it would be right above my bed.
1: Wow. Yes. Yeah. What, what did you do with the still? With it?
2: Um Well, what I did was actually, it's kind of a weird story. I took a uh, box in the Bible, actually, and I buried it and wrapped the box up in duct tape.
1: And that, and that so, ended it for you, huh?
2: It just ended it for me. After that night, I never experienced sleep paralysis. I never experienced weird noise in my closet. My girlfriend would never wake up extremely paranoid. Life just went uh-huh. back to normal. I'm glad you were able to solve the situation. Yeah. But Chris, a, thanks it was for the very call. Hard great
0: story. Great Anyways. story.
2: Yep. Have a great night, eh? Take care.
0: Bye. You too. Thank you. There you go. A still from the, the, uh, prohibition era. Uh, oh, yeah. what about, um, uh, civil war memorabilia, these sorts of things? I mean, do you find that, uh, spirits, ...tend to attach themselves, you know, particularly if there's been a violent end. Is that oh, yeah. important that if there's a violent end, a violent death, there's more likely to be a haunting?
1: Well, there's a good chance, definitely. I don't want to say that it happens every time. You know, some spirits can move on, but there are there's a big chance that uh, a lot of these objects can carry that, especially when you're dealing with such a, a tragic event in their lives. You know, the Civil War was such a hard thing for the country... You know, father against, you know, son. And, you, and you'd and you have to deal with this fact that you never even knew if your loved ones were out there fighting. That's one of the things that I've learned, you know, with this death museum. That's how much the Civil War has affected, you know, our society.
0: What kind of evidence have you gathered down there or anywhere during your investigations? What is the most compelling piece of evidence that you have of, of ghosts? Oh.
1: Okay. So, there is um, a section that was uh, referred to as the bank vaults. Because um, the problem was that uh, there was so much illegal stuff going on, Seattle didn't have very much law. So what was happening is when these miners came into Seattle with gold in their pockets, people were doing whatever they could to get a hold of gold. And the city realizes this, so they created these, you know, underground vaults so that the men could get their gold into a safe place As soon as possible, and these vaults would be open later throughout the evening as well. So you didn't have to always be here within you know business hours. Well, of course, horrible things are happening in the underground. You know, guys are hiding in darkened corners, you know, waiting for somebody to walk by, grab you, stab you, take your gold and run. Um, You know, anything they could to get a hold of the gold. So lots of men had died in these underground portions. Well, near the vault area, we were doing an EVP session. And we'd ask, of course, the most common question that you'd ask during the EVP session, what is your name? And the response that we captured on a recording is Edward. Mm-hmm. Now, that was pretty cool. It was very clear. It was what we'd call a Class A EVP. Right. Well, then, years go by, and I, I get in touch with this other ghost hunting group that had the opportunity to investigate investigate the underground. And we get to talking, and we found out that when they were down in the vault area, too, doing their EVP session, of course, they asked the same question. What is your name? And the response that they captured was Eddie. So Hmm. here are two different groups doing two separate investigations. We hadn't communicated with each other. We hadn't shared our evidence beforehand. But yet we walk away with a very similar EVP. Corroborating evidence. And they got Eddie. So, yeah. All right. I, uh, you
0: know, Ross, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and uh we'll continue to tour the uh, Death Museum. Ross Allison, paranormal investigator from Seattle. Haunted and cursed objects here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us.
1: theories
2: uncovering
0: facts and offering a different view of the universe this is the
1: conspiracy show with richard sarat
0: ross allison is with us from spooked in seattle and they are celebrating their 15th anniversary this year and he's on the line from the death museum in uh, seattle how does seattle rank among uh, haunted locations across the united states ross
1: well, you know, that's an interesting question because, you know, we're the youngest city, you know, in the country, uh, being just over 150 years old. So it's a lot different coming from the East Coast over there. But uh, surprisingly, we have our fair share of ghosts as well. You know, I've been to some of the most haunted places all over the world, and sometimes you don't have the experiences. But I think, you know, Seattle does uh, fare in its uh, hauntings. You know, we've had our share of tragedies as well. You know, dealing with the Native American wars, we've had you know um, the speakeasies that led, led into you know prostitution and opium dens. So there was a lot of illegal stuff going on as well. So I, I think you know we're we're pretty good. I think we can you know duke it out really well with uh, someone on the East Coast and say yeah our ghosts are pretty active too.
0: Uh, what about your your underground uh, uh, the, the underground portion of Seattle? Is, is that more haunted than above ground locations?
1: Oh yeah, uh, Seattle's history. When it comes to the underground, you have to understand that uh, Seattle had suffered a great Seattle fire, June sixth, eighteen eighty nine, and this wipes out thirty three blocks in twelve hours. Now, no one died in the fire, but it was a big movement for the city because it allowed the city to rebuild itself. Because prior to the fire, the city was suffering from a lot of problems. And their main problem was the fact that they were built at sea level, a lot close to the water. So extreme high tides were known to come in and flood you know, the, the main street and some of the businesses every so often. So now they have this opportunity to rebuild. Oh, and I should point out, too, one of our biggest problems were, was the plumbing. Yeah, they had a strict Mm -hmm. rule that you weren't allowed to flush your crapper at high tide. Because (laughs) if you had, you would actually cause a huge geyser of sewage and salt water to shoot out of these crappers. Wow. Yeah. Not a pretty sight or pretty smell for Seattle. Now, what happens is Seattle has this opportunity to rebuild. So they want to tear down all the hills and cliffs that surround us and use the dirt to raise our land and get us above the sea level. Well, it's a great idea. Uh, other cities have done this and they've been very successful. But uh, the city, uh, the building owners, um, they didn't want to wait, you know, to have to rebuild because they stated that it was going to take them, you know, eight to ten years before they would actually complete this project. And, and no one who has a business here in Seattle wants to wait that long. So they just go ahead and start rebuilding their businesses the day after the fire. And the business owners are
2: like, wait, wait, stop, you guys.
1: We're not going to fix our problems. We're going to have the exact same problem that we had before. Well, since the city is only responsible for the city streets, they decide, fine. What we're going to do is we're just going to raise our streets around you. So what they did is they build walls around each and every block. Then they would actually tear and cliffs and use all that dirt to go in between those walls so now you have your street a good you know eight feet above the sidewalk Well that's not very safe either. in fact I believe uh, 15 men died just stepping off the street onto the sidewalk. Wow so once they put in the the, the sidewalks to uh, match up to the second level now of the building, this created... This, I, I won't say tunnel system, but there was this tunnel that went around the block. It's like an extended basement now for the business. Sure. But these underground sections weren't documented very well either. And so it was so easy for any, you know, shady business to, you know, operate a speakeasy down there. Uh, prostitution was really big in these underground sections. And then, of course, you know, drugs and all kinds of interesting things went on in these, you know, secret little, you know, tunnels around the block. So yeah. So we you're, definitely have some you're haunted, things going
0: on. So you're haunted ghost tours. Uh, you take people down to the underground portion. Have you ever been scared, frightened down there?
1: You know, I'll be honest with you. There have been times when you, you walk into the underground in the dark And you just want to be lying to your destination. You don't want to look back. But, yeah, you know, in the beginning, I I will admit, it was was definitely creepy when you know and you've captured evidence supporting the fact that there is something here. If you feel like you're being watched, you're being watched. So, yeah, it it definitely has that creepy factor. But now, you know, I've been in the, the underground so much, it's you know, it doesn't faze me as much.
0: Okay, Ross, we're gonna take a quick time out. We'll come back, we'll take a call, and we'll continue to delve into Haunted Seattle, Haunted and Cursed Objects. The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarah Welcome back. Ross Allison stays with us. A Seattle-based paranormal investigator, the author of a number of books on the subject, Spooked in Seattle, The Ghost Hunters Journal, Ghostology 101, Psychology for the Ghost, Haunted Ships and Lighthouses. Let's grab a quick call. Billy is in uh, Toronto. Billy, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show.
1: Good morning. Do you have any experience with famous rock or any type of musicians? More specifically, because you're talking more specifically about Seattle, Seattle, Kurt Cobain? Uh, Kurt Cobain's bench is uh, one of the most uh, notorious haunted locations here in the area. Oh. And they, they claim the story is that um, before, you know, whatever happened, some people believe he was murdered, some people believe it was suicide. Um, but uh, before that tragic event took place, that they found that he had spent uh, quite a few hours on that bench. Hmm. And since his death, many people have claimed to see him sitting on that bench, or feeling that he is with you know, with them. You know, when his fans come to visit.
2: Okay.
1: Is that bench marked with a plaque? It of is. Um, I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've been out there, because I'm surprised um, one stole it. Yeah, well, no, it actually, in the very beginning, um, people used to uh, tag it, you know, with their, you know, name and everything okay. and leave flowers and, you know, and leave their condolences uh at this bench. And uh they've had to replace it quite a few times uh, because of this. Or maybe it's just the um, location. It could be the location, because too. You know, it is just there? outside of his house. When you're sitting on the bench, you can actually see his house. Oh, wow yeah,
0: Is that part of your ghost tour?
1: It is not. Unfortunately, uh, Kurt Cobain's house is uh, a little further out there. It's probably a good uh, 15 minutes from uh, the downtown Seattle area. Ah,
0: all right. People may be interested in listening to my Rock and Roll Twilight Zone episode on uh, (laughs) Kurt Cobain, and we investigate whether or not he was murdered. Uh, So you might want to check that out, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Hey, Billy, great call. Thank you for that. Uh, what else? Take us uh, back down into your uh, your museum, uh, R- Ross. Uh, give us a little bit of a tour. What else do you, what, what are you looking at right
1: now? What am I looking at right now? I'm looking at a Native American doll. This doll was actually made out of uh, real Native American hair and skin. Yeah, the story is, uh, this is actually over on the East Coast, um, early 1800s. Uh, Native American was involved in the murder of a family. And he was tried and hung. And then they actually, uh, used his remains to create this doll. And this doll sat in the window of an apothecary as a warning to anybody else that might mess with anybody in their town. Wow.
0: And, uh, any strange, uh, behavior th- that's attributed to that, uh, that doll?
1: I can't say there has been. It was just another interesting piece that I felt would uh, belong here in a death museum. So I cannot say that he is haunted. I definitely would think it would be a prime you know, vessel to be, but uh, I don't know of anything yet.
0: And tell me about these, these vintage coffins uh, that you have. I mean, obviously, these were not used. Uh, well, there's one that is. <laughs> oh, it was. All right. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So uh, back in the day, when you'd order your coffin from a catalog, unless you, uh, if you didn't have a cabinet maker or a carpenter in your in your area, you'd order these you know cabinets through ca- uh, these uh, coffins through catalogs. Mm-hmm. And apparently, what had happened is when the coffin showed up, it was not the right one that they wanted. So they had placed the body of their loved one in this coffin for a short time until the correct one came. And then they switched them to that one. And this coffin sat in this funeral home for, you know, a long time. And they just finally decided to get rid of it. And I was able to obtain that coffin. And it does have a little bit of body seepage in it.
0: Yikes. Uh, Be be honest, have you ever slept in one of those coffins, Ross?
1: No, I'm too (laughs) claustrophobic. I don't think I could do it. (laughs) Not even with the lid open. Oh, uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I like to spread out when I'm trying to sleep.
0: When you go on a ghost investigation, uh, what what are the what are the gadgets that you uh, that you take with you?
1: Oh, well, we're not called advanced for for nothing. Uh, we probably gather easily, I'd say thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment. You know, from th- thermal cameras, we have about five thermal cameras in our team. Um, we have, you know, high-end infrared cameras, uh, full-spectrum cameras. We even have a system that we call Spectre, which monitors a controlled environment. Um, we have, got oh God, uh, high-end audio recorders. Uh, you name it, you know, we'll use it. Because my biggest thing is there is no device that's going to tell you, yes, you have a ghost. Um, to know to. To develop a tool like that, you have to know what a ghost is made of. So we have, the best we can do as investigators is to use any type of devices that help us to read the environment and help us to understand if there's changes to the environment that we can't explain. So whether that be, you know, temperature, EMF, ion, uh, we use it all. And we just try to hopefully support the idea that there could be something odd happening in these environments.
0: Spooked in Seattle. Uh, How do we get a hold of all of your books?
1: Well, definitely go to Amazon. It's a great place to find uh, my author page and all of my books. Um, You can definitely look up everything that uh, me and David Weatherly have been working on together. We have a series coming out called Haunted, and that's uh, got quite a few coming out in the near future. Um, So, yeah, I would say Amazon's their best bet.
0: Ross Allison, great pleasure meeting you. Thank you so
1: much. Well, thank you for having me on the show.
0: All right. I hope we can talk again. You bet. My thanks to Owen Wolf and Ryan White. Back next week with a brand new show. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night.